Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Here comes another episode of Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Podcast. The best moments of the week, ending Friday, November 1st, 2019. Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi is dead. He was the founder and leader of ISIS, the most ruthless and violent terror organization anywhere in the world. The United States has been searching for Baghdadi for many years. So we have talked to our next guest many times. He knows what it's like to be searching for a terrorist, a, a, a criminal. Uh, we remember back to the days of Eric Robert Rudolph, uh, back in the days when uh, Chris Wecker was uh, the uh, special agent in charge in North Carolina. 24 years he served as a special agent in the FBI, a former assistant director here in North Carolina. Uh, we, we bring him on a lot of times uh, following uh, a, a tragic happening, uh, a terrorist attack, uh, on America, in America. This morning, we bring him on after American forces brought down a terror kingpin, as in uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, as the president uh, just detailed. Uh, Chris Wecker, good morning, sir. Good morning, Bo. Appreciate you being here. So I know you watched this with great interest over the weekend, uh, the detailing of how this raid went down. Uh, what are your thoughts on this Monday morning? Well, first thought is that I think we have to be proud of our, our special operations units like Delta. I've, I've trained with them. I was a, a, a SWAT team operator in Miami. We came up and trained with them up at Fort Bragg. They are the best in the world. And that's what it would take to conduct this kind of raid in, in, uh, right in the enemy territory. So let's, let's give them the credit that's due. Um, two, this is a this is a great victory in the war against ISIS. Uh, they, they're a brutal, knuckle-dragging, medieval organization who kill innocent men, women, and children for this, just because they're not the same religion. So it's it's a it's a victory, but it's it's not a total victory over ISIS. They're they're not going away. Osama bin Laden was uh, obviously a household name uh, ever since 9-11 and for many people before 9-11, but uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, not quite as well known, but how would you uh, compare the two, uh, the stature within uh, their terrorist organizations? Well, bin Laden was more charismatic than al-Baghdadi. He was the face of al-Qaeda. He is al-Qaeda, or was al-Qaeda. Al-Baghdadi, more reclusive, uh, he has not really been active in directing operations for the last two or three years because he's been in hiding. So, I mean, while this is a major symbolic victory, it's not going to take ISIS out because they, they have been used to conducting their operations in sort of a dispersed 
fashion, which makes him even more dangerous. Now, uh, he is the, the, the head of, I, of ISIS, but uh, we also heard talk about uh, another very important thing to remember about this raid was the surveillance that they collected in this area where they ultimately killed him. A lot of records, a lot of, uh, you know, cyber information that can help with, uh, you know, moves that America makes going forward and knowing where ISIS might have been, have been headed going forward. Yeah, just like uh, in, in with Bin Laden, uh, there was a huge cache of intelligence information there, hard drives, computers, mobile devices, written documents, and that sort of thing. And it may have led to a subsequent raid where the number two in ISIS was taken out. So just as important as taking out the leader of, of ISIS and the, and the second-in-command is the intelligence bonanza that comes out of this type of operation. And I'm sure they're still pouring over all of that information. It may lead to more operations there and elsewhere. But, it's, you know, there was a $25 million reward on his head. Talking We're to- not quite sure what kind of intelligence led to his location. It, it could have been some live information from someone seeking a reward or just the composite of all the intelligence sources that they have. Chris Swecker, former assistant director, FBI, head of cyber and criminal divisions in North Carolina. So we hear the story of this raid, and President Trump detailed a lot of it uh, when he made his uh, announcement yesterday. No loss of American forces, first and foremost. But you did hear this uh, story about how uh, Baghdadi uh, used uh, children as human shields, and there were children that were killed here. You heard about the dog that ultimately went down uh, the the dead end. the dog, from what I understand, was injured but is okay. But uh, when you're hearing about how this actually was carried out, uh, down to details like that, well, what do you make of those? Yeah, very consistent with ISIS in general as, as an organization. He's, he's willing to kill his own children, his own innocent children uh, at the end there, which is tragic. I mean, they didn't have any choice about where they were and, and, and how that went down. But it's, I think that's ISIS in general. They are they are going to go down in history as the most brutal organization in in history. I mean, they they cut off heads. Uh, they, you know, they, they, there just are no boundaries for a group like that. And we have to stay vigilant all the time. This group again is not going away. Final thing here. So uh, a week ago, we're talking about Syria and Turkey and uh, the fact that we pulled troops out. And you're hearing about ISIS criminals being released. Uh, now today, the uh, the the kingpin of, of the ISIS organization is gone. Now, as you said, and we all know, that doesn't mean ISIS is gone. But uh, what kind of uh, capabilities do they have today versus where they were a week ago? Yeah, somewhat reduced. I mean, I was in Iraq in 2003, and we worked very closely with the Kurds. They are staunch U.S. allies, and having a footprint in that part of the world where uh, terrorist activity is, there's this tremendous amount of terrorist activity, it's good to have a footprint there. It's good to have direct connections with other, you know, other organizations that that can gather intelligence on the ground real time. So I, I I just, I don't think it's a great idea to pull out of there and just leave that kind of vacuum, especially with the Kurds being so such good allies of the United States. Chris Wecker, always uh, appreciate the perspective. Thanks for calling in this morning.
You bet, Bo. Take care. Newsmakers talk to Bo Thompson. Direct from the White House this morning, the acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. Good morning, Bo. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, good morning to you. How are you, Bo? Good morning. Talking to the vice president of the United States, Joe Biden, on WBT. Thank you, Bo. It's a great city. Mr. Trump, welcome to Charlotte Radio. Good morning, Bo. Vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. Good morning, sir. Hey, Bo. It's great to be on your program. Mr. Johnny Harris, good morning, sir. Good morning, Bo. We're real excited. We got our first day under our belt yesterday. The head coach of the Carolina Panthers, Ron Rivera. Morning, Bo. How you doing? I listen to you guys constantly. Chief of Police in Charlotte Mecklenburg. He is Chief Kerr Putney. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bo. Thank you, sir. That is special. Appreciate it. This is WBT's Morning News with Bo Thompson. Mr. Trump, I appreciate it. I told your people I would get you back (laughs) on to the next thing, so I will honor that. But thank Uh, you for. Don't worry, Bo. That was really great, and I really do appreciate it, Bo. W-B-T. <laughs> yep. It's Thursday, October 31st, Halloween 2019. What's it going to do tonight? Here's the keeper, for I have a tasty treat. Inviting you all to a feast. Only the best of fiends can come. We'll have skeletons of fun. So come on down to the keeper's zoo. I'm sure it will get grave reviews. Beyond time. All right, a lot of discussion about what's going to happen tonight with the weather. We know it's going to rain. Rain on Halloween is not a new thing. That's happened before, but uh, severe weather tonight. And we were talking to Ray Stajic a little bit earlier from the Weather Channel, and it could get uh, pretty dangerous tonight. And so the question has come up, what to do about trick-or-treating? We're not saying you know, cancel Halloween, but the trick-or-treating part of Halloween, that's an issue tonight. I want to bring on the line a guy who was uh, all over social media yesterday afternoon opposing this question. Tark Bakari, city councilman, district number six, is back with us. Tark, happy Halloween. Hey, Bo. Happy Halloween. So uh, I watched uh, your your, uh, Facebook Live yesterday, and I I imagine that uh, what prompted that is uh, a lot of questions you've gotten. I don't know if the the city has ever... Now, somebody called us a little bit earlier, and I was here then, but I don't remember. Somebody said uh, right after Hurricane Hugo in 1989, they maybe canceled trick-or-treating. I don't know. I don't remember that, but uh, someone seemed to think that there was some sort of city edict, but that was obviously uh, very unusual circumstances. This is not a hurricane, but we're hearing it could be uh, one of those microburst-type things tonight. So uh, is it within the city's power? Has that ever been a real consideration, or is this just kind of a neighborhood-to-neighborhood thing to you? Well, um, first and foremost, I learned a valuable lesson that whenever there's an important decision to be made, go directly to social media and uh, <laughs> allow, allow everyone to comment because um, because that is super annoying a lot of times. <laughs> but um, all joking aside, we, um, you know, we, it, I was kind of like, you know, with my kids, you, you know, I have uh, three young kids, two, four, and six. Right. And I was just a little concerned. I was like, well, you know, they, they're not going to really be able to trick or treat. I wasn't taking it that seriously. And then I heard one of our meteorologists, Brad Panovich, give right. his report, and he talked about some potential for some very dangerous weather, lightning and other things where, um, you know, lives could be at risk. So I jumped into action, asked a few questions. Um, I think where we all kind of fell at the end, staff and myself, especially after reading social media's mixed reviews on it, that obviously um, it's probably best for it to be a neighborhood-by-neighborhood decision, of which some neighborhoods have already decided to uh, postpone to Friday or even Saturday in some cases. 
Um, some are still watching the weather, and, and as the afternoon progresses, they're going to make their decision. Um, so I think that's what's best. Also, the news has stepped up in, in a call to action on the last of them, which is get the message out about it's not just rain, it's, um, it's also danger, and please post and so families know who go to other neighborhoods and trick-or-treat um, what some statuses might be. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's just about um, being safe, as your, as your co-host might say, don't wear your stupid hat. Um, and, uh, and, you know, because this is about kids. Well, uh, the co-host that you speak of just literally walked into the door. In fact, I need you to put your headphones on for a second. I want to play something for you because you got them? Okay. I'm going to play this clip yesterday from the person I'm talking to on the line right now. I have no idea who you're talking to. I know. Well, you will, we will in just a moment. I'm going to play Wait you this minute. clip because I believe you might, be, you might need to get some royalties off this phrase being used. <laughs> All right. Is it plugged in? Can you okay, hear me? it's plugged here, in right, there. Here we go. All this right. is from Facebook yesterday. If it's looking dangerous, do not put on your stupid hat, as someone might have once said in the past. Wow. <laughs> hey wow. there, uh, Pat. How you doing, buddy? It's Tark. Tark Tark. I knew I should have uh, patented that remark or got, you know. You could be raking in millions now. Similar to that boxing announcer guy, should have done what he no, did. Where you, can, I'm go not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I seriously was just talking, and all of a sudden <laughs> that just popped in my head. Like, so oh. you know, I was thinking about today wearing Tark my uh, my famous green shirt that I'd wear. You know, that looks makes me look tough during a you know hurricane recovery. You know, all governors have to look tough. That's what I was missing yesterday. No one was taking me serious because I didn't have the shirt. <laughs> well, you see, I'm wearing my shirt today because I'm right here in the studio because I'm saying don't put your stupid ad tonight on for Halloween. That's right. That's right. See, we got to spread that message. Now, be careful, Pat. I'll warn you. Social media is a little mixed on um, their feelings because they don't want big government coming in and telling their kids how to be soft and and they didn't have Oh like man, this is a fine to line to walk, it isn't is. it? I mean, this, this is, is the difficulty of leadership, Dark. You're walking yeah. that fine line on Halloween. That's right. And so from now on when he says when he says that phrase, he needs to say uh, don't put your stupid head on copyright Pat McCrory. <laughs> <laughs> copyright Pat McCrory. <laughs> All right, hey Tark, uh, thanks man for being a good sport and uh, hey uh, But you can still vote today, yes. right? Tark you can, you can. You can it's, vote, and I think well, someone on the ballot is, uh, and we have that quarter cent sales tax on the ballot. So yeah, it's a big election here with very... Sales tax. Yeah. Tark Bakari, happy Halloween, my friend. Hey, Tark, don't put yes, your sir. stupid hat on. <laughs> Copyright Pat McCrory, <laughs> 2019. <laughs> thanks a lot, Pat. Uh, thanks a lot, Tark. Pat is coming up. Tark is leaving now. Wherever you are, whenever you're ready. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. I remember very well being on the air here, and we started to get phone calls coming in, and we started uh, seeing things across the monitors in this room and getting reports uh, in that 7 o'clock hour and then into the 8 o'clock hour and uh, tried to verify things as best we could. And then once we realized what was going on, uh, one of the calls we got into the studio that day was from my next guest, and her name is Brandy Rabin, and uh, she has two... Uh, daughters who attend Butler High School, now uh, a sophomore and a senior. But that day, uh, we uh, got the story in particular about her daughter, her freshman daughter, who was on this hall and about 10 feet away 
from the shooting. And of course, uh, uh, today they're remembering the life of Bobby McKeithen. McKeithen was shot in the school's hallway just before classes began. Uh, Brandy, kind enough to uh, call back in this morning. Brandy, good morning to you. Good morning. So uh, we've talked to you a few times over the last year about how Butler has uh, dealt with this and and, uh, the healing process. I remember talking to you in March uh, when uh, you were telling us of the the Stop the Bleed kits that were organized by a a group there at the school. Uh, How are you doing this morning? Uh, How are your daughters doing? And what can you tell me about what's happening at Butler? Sure. Um, well, today is a, it's just a heavy day. I don't, there's any other way to describe it. I was actually just leaving the school this morning. There had been a, um, a time of, of prayer around the flagpole um, this morning at 645 where 50 or 60 um, students and staff just gathered around the flagpole. One teacher led a prayer, but really it was just more about silence just to see, you know, 50 to 60 high schoolers locking arms, holding hands, just sitting in their in their emotions and and just really not knowing what to feel one of the things that the um staff advisor pray was just you know you you don't know what to feel today um obviously this is a defining moment in the lives of these um youth um and they'll remember this for the rest of their lives and so what do you feel on a day like today of course we have um compassion and grief and just sadness um for bobby's family and friends um but as, as students what You know, you're sad, you're confused, you're anxious, um, you're wanting to move forward. Um, So it's a it it was it it was a heavy morning this morning at the school. Um, Of course, the administration was there, um, the superintendent was there. It was a it was a it was a beautiful moment of just trying to figure out what does this look like. Um, I think um, for me, the the big thing about today is our principal, Mr. Legrand, has deemed today a day of kindness. Mm-hmm. Because we we want to move forward uh, in a positive manner, and so everything from there's there's T-shirts that the students have um, bought that say "Be Kind." Um, as the students arrived this morning, there were over 400 luminaries, um, of course representing being bright, uh, a bright light in darkness. Um, the art classes have made pinwheels for peace, which were just on display this morning. Um, you know, throughout the day, there's a memorial wall um, in the media center um, to remember Bobby and remember his life, where people can write messages of course um, and again the big thing is being kind and so as students walked in today there was a, a large chalk, chalk mural that said you know day of kindness um, starting today and they want it to be an annual tradition as a way to remember um, Bobby and then also just really try to get to the root cause if if, um, if we can just be kind um, I think our society if we can just embrace that no matter where you come from your background I mean kindness is the answer um, all the students, as they arrive today, um, on every locker, um, several of the student organizations have uh, their sticky notes on every locker in the school um, with a note of kindness, and they're in multiple languages, English, Spanish, French, Portuguese, Russian, et cetera, all the languages that um, are spoken at Butler. Butler is an extremely diverse school. Um, and then at lunch today, the students have an opportunity to write notes of kindness um, to their classmates, and those will be delivered um, this afternoon and tomorrow just to, to really promote positivity and um, just there's posters throughout the school. One of the posters that I love the most, it just says, you know, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. And I think that's the, that's the message of today for Butler and really for all of us. Well, I know it's a, 
well, I can't imagine because I've never experienced it myself, but I, I have to imagine that uh, as a parent, as a student, uh, as you try to move on and get back to some sort of sense of normalcy, uh, you knew this day was coming. And so uh, half of you wants to, to, to make it a, a, a normal day and, and half of you wants to make sure that you commemorate it the way it needs to be commemorated. And this is a thing that, that uh, Butler and the, and the Charlotte community will deal with uh, not just today, but for years to come. Yes. Yes. I think that, um, you know, you asked how we personally are. Um, mm-hmm. My older daughter, Avery, uh, is uh, on the Dream Team, which is one of the student organizations that help plan today. And so um, I think, you know, people have different ways of coping. And for her, it's very much like, let's do something. Let's let's be active. Let's um, move forward. Um, my younger daughter, Addie, who was the, the child who was the closest to the shooting and, and saw things that really, you know, um, you don't want your child to see. Um, for her, it was, you know, I, I, I don't want to talk about it. I, I, I want to withdraw a little bit, which is pretty outside of her personality. Mm-hmm. Um, we, Our family had the opportunity to, to do a, um, a news interview yesterday with WBTV, and she declined to participate. I think it was just, you know, she said, I, I don't want to I don't want to relive it. I'm already reliving it enough in my head. I don't necessarily want to do that publicly or be a spokesperson. And so I think it, part of it is just um, feeling the emotions as they come and just dealing with it. Like there's no right or wrong way at this right. point. It's um, you've got to do what works for you in that moment and, and, and give grace around for people who may handle it differently. Well, I, uh, you know how much I appreciate uh, a, you calling in a year ago today, uh, despite how difficult that must've been, but uh, the days since it. And of course today, uh, I know you're going through uh, conflicting emotions, but you really have uh, opened a window uh, for those of us uh, in the audience and myself included to, to understand what you're going through today. And uh, we're all thinking about you and uh, thank you for your time. Sure. The best of the week on demand. This is Bo Thompson's WBT podcast. Don't forget, check out WBT's latest podcast, including Inside the Game of Politics, season number one with Pat McCrory. Also, Off the Beat with Brett Jensen. You can also check out my Century podcast. And I've been talking about the Century podcast lately. Uh, a couple of the interviews mention my next guest. In fact, uh, the Al Gardner one in particular, and also the conversation with John Hancock that I had a couple of weeks ago. We talked about Stacy Sims, who joins us on the WBT hotline. I'm still. I know it's been it's been seven years, oh. but I know it's still <laughs> weird for you to be on the other end of the line and hear WBT. You're on the air. <laughs> it's- it was so funny. And good morning, Bo. When Charles picked up the phone, I said, "It's too early." <laughs> <laughs> it is now. There was a time. Oh, my gosh. It's time for lunch. Yeah, no That's kidding. So no kidding. Oh, it's good to hear your voice, Stacey Sims, who, of course, uh, she was with Al on this show for a decade. And then the last year she was here, we overlapped for a year. Uh, but Stacy has moved on, and uh, she has done many things. She has a podcast, which is called Diabetes Connections. And, by the way, her son, Benny, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was uh, very young. And so she has, uh, in, in your career these days, really, uh, done many things as the, and I'm going to read the name of your book here. Your new book's <laughs> name is The World's Worst Diabetes Mom. Okay, I, you say that, not me. <laughs> right. The book is called The World's Worst Diabetes Mom, Real-Life Stories of Raising a Child with Type 1 Diabetes. And it's part memoir. It's part parenting advice. It's a lot of humor. And it's really kind of a guide of what not 
to do, but mm-hmm. how to learn from mistakes. I mean, you're a parent, and any parent is never going to be perfect, even though we all want to be and we all we think we should be. But in particular, when you're raising a child with a chronic condition, you know, things are going to happen. So the book is actually a response to this feeling that we all have to, you know, raise our kids perfectly. And I would argue that we actually have to make mistakes and we should make mistakes because that's how we learn, even with something like type 1 diabetes. Well, and uh, like you say, a lot of this is anecdotal things that you have dealt with uh, in your path. But I know uh, part of what uh, gave rise to your podcast and now your book here and so many things that you're doing now uh, with your your post-radio career, uh, you've met people along the way that, uh, and I'm sure that didn't realize there was a voice or another voice out there that uh, can identify with what they're going through. And I, I'm sure you know, when you go to these conferences, I see all the time on your social media postings, you meet people out there who thought that they were somewhat alone, and truth is they're not. There is a support group, which uh, you are uh, leading the charge on out there, a support group for people who uh, don't have to go about this uh, just by themselves. Well, you know, well, diabetes is very isolating, and I'm going to group all types of diabetes in that. Mm-hmm. You know, people with type 2 diabetes, even though there's something like 28 million people with type 2, it can be very isolating because there is a lot of blame and a lot of shame. It's the only condition I can think of that people daily make fun of. Right? Hashtag, ooh, hashtag diabetes, look at my big dessert. Diabetes on a plate. Hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's, it sounds silly, and it's not like I don't have a sense of humor about it because, look, we make diabetes jokes all the time. I wrote a whole book that's humorous. <laughs> but there's something about turning the blame on someone with diabetes that we don't do with, you know, hey, Phil, your high blood pressure medication, ha-ha, shouldn't eat that, you know, or high <laughs> cholesterol, whoa, back away from the plate. We only do that with diabetes. So when you mention, you know, support and, and groups and ways to meet up in person, you know, there are events all the time. And there's one in Charlotte this weekend. Uh, it's called Take Control of Your Diabetes, TCOYD. It's this Saturday in Charlotte. It's for people with type 1 and type to diabetes. And what I love about TCOID is they use humor. So you're not going to go and be lectured at. You're not going to go and shuffling, you know, from one room to the next with your name tag and your free lunch. And I don't know how many conferences you've been to, but even in radio, right? Sometimes... They're terrible. Sometimes they're great. This is one of the good ones. This is one of the good ones, and it's at the uh, Charlotte Convention Center on Saturday, correct? Absolutely. It is this Saturday, and you can register in advance. You can show up and register at the door. It's from 9 to 5, and it's you know, you see all these commercials. I mean, I know even if you don't have diabetes, you, you, you're seeing the commercials and mm-hmm. you're like, what are all these products? What do they do? Do I need this? And they can help really explain what they do what they're for and you know just kind of lifestyle things as well and free health screenings which is terrific well and uh i saw a picture what about a week ago of you in park road books and there you were uh and the great park road books which back in the day was little professor books but it's one of the great independently owned bookstores at park road shopping they're still out there and we got to support them and uh, your latest book is on the shelf there right now it is and that was really exciting they were really fun about it i mean they get it you know what it's like to be an author and had yeah. stuff out there so they were really sweet but i have to put a plug in for my main street books in davidson too but yep. uh-huh up here we're having an event there november 16th to celebrate the book and that's also a fundraiser for jdrf so you know follow me on social media blah blah all this stuff is out there so uh it, it's available uh, at those two places now is it available on amazon and and bigger places yet 
Yeah, it'll launch on Sunday, actually. Okay, there uh, we go. Of this weekend. It's going to go in all the retail outlets. Uh, Amazon, you know, we're still talking about physical bookstores, but Amazon, Barnes & Noble, ebook, and um, an audiobook will be following well, shortly. gee, there's a no-brainer, <laughs> if I ever heard one. <laughs> all right, well, so, I, again... It's not me saying this. It's the title of the book, just so you know where I'm coming from here. The World's Worst Diabetes Mom, Stacey Sims, is with us, and, of course, a former host here of uh, Charlotte's Morning News, as it was called then. So, uh, again, anything else? Uh, website? What do we need to know before I let you go here? I just really want to you know, speak about uh, TCOID a little bit more. You can find me at diabetes-connections.com. But as you listen, if you are feeling alone with diabetes, whatever type that you may have, if you're feeling embarrassed or ashamed, if you have a loved one who has type 1 and you feel like you're nagging them all the time, please reach out. There is help out there. There is support. You know, we've got to stop this blame and shame, Bo. It's just ridiculous. We don't do it to any other health condition. So I really hope that if, you know, a couple people listening do show up, it really could change your life. I'm not exaggerating. So, again, uh, Charlotte Convention Center, the TCOYD, this weekend. And, again, that stands for Taking Control of Your Diabetes, the most uplifting uh, diabetes conference you'll ever attend. Stacy will be there. That's why it's going to be so uplifting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's good to hear your voice and uh, stay in touch. Thanks so much, Bo. I appreciate it. You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Before I bring on our next guest, hard to believe that this was just five years ago. In North Carolina, I know everybody in this room knows we have a state toast, the land of the longleaf pine. And in that state toast, we say, and if you know it, you can say it with me. Here's to the land of the longleaf pine, the summer land where the sun doth shine, where the weak grow strong and the strong grow great. Here's to down home, the old North State. You know, I have done my very best to give North Carolina the opportunity for every North Carolinian to grow both strong and great. That was in November of 2014. That was Kay Hagan. And she uh, lost the election that night for U.S. Senate re-election to Tom Tillis, of course. And we learned yesterday, a sad story here, that Kay Hagan passed away at the age of 66 from encephalitis uh, caused by a rare virus spread from ticks to humans. And uh, she uh, died at her home in Greensboro, one-term U.S. senator. But before that, she was a NC State senator. And if my calculations are correct here, she overlapped by a couple of years Within the uh, NC State Legislature, now Trisha Cotham was a 10-year uh, NC House member, and, and uh, Kay Hagan was a state senator. But uh, Trisha joins me right now, and uh, Trisha, good morning. Uh, you did know Kay Hagan very well. I did, and good morning, and, and thank you for talking about Senator Hagan. Um, she was a woman of tremendous class, tremendous sass. She was extremely intelligent. She was a, a tough fighter someone I personally looked up to as a young female in the General Assembly. I really liked the way she interacted and worked with Republicans and Democrats and fought for what she believed in. And very tragic what happened to her a few years ago with such a rare virus attacking her and really harming her life tremendously the last few years and a very unexpected death yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think that is uh, the immediate thought that so many of us have. Uh, 66, so a uh, very young age, and uh, the, the the encephalitis just... Uh, 
terrible circumstances there. And, and it was just like yesterday that, uh, I mean, I was playing some interviews, uh, the last, I don't know if it was the last, but one of the last few interviews that I did with her on this show. And uh, she was on talking to me about uh, the confirmation hearings for Anthony Fox when President Obama appointed him to the, uh, the as Secretary of, of Transportation back in 2013. And uh, I asked her at the end of that interview about this guy, Tom, T- you know, Tom Tillis, the idea of him running against her in the next election. And uh, like I said, five years ago, I mean, I remember seeing her uh, during our coverage of the, the DNC in 2012. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, there goes Kay Hagan, and she had an entourage of people behind her. And the, there you go, you have the, uh, the your, your your party's convention uh, in your in your state in the city of Charlotte, and uh, just uh, it's amazing how fleeting life is and how quickly things can happen. Right, and I think that's just what is just so sad here. And um, Kay was really a very special political leader. She was someone who really tried to help younger women get into office. She was extremely kind to anyone she interacted with, and you could immediately feel the charisma and the love that she had. Some politicians don't have that gift. She she certainly did. Um, as I was saying earlier, when I first came to the General Assembly, she really gave me some advice and some help and introduced me to some of her fellow female senator counterparts and i felt and you know when you work in the house you've got to always have a partner in the senate if you want to get any legislation done we are a bicameral state very important and she really helped me to make those connections so i would be successful in the general assembly and i got to know her wonderful and loving husband chip who stayed by her side through all of this through all of this tragedy and through her health deterioration and her family so just truly an amazing woman someone who served and represented north carolina well even if you didn't agree with her politics she still represented she was a great ambassador for our state well i appreciate you coming on and uh, talking about her legacy now uh, you know uh, this health situation uh, came rather quickly and uh, obviously uh, she died at a young age do you think and and she was attempting to run for re-election against tom tillis and that didn't work out obviously but if if uh, if she had remained healthy do you think her political career was was finished did she have plans to do uh, to do things down the line I think she definitely had her eye on other things. Um, if that was, you know, if a Democrat became president, if that's mm-hmm. an ambassadorship, if that's some type of role in the executive level. So this this was really, I mean, she was vacationing, I believe, in Florida and um, got sick. It was kind of not real well-known at the time and then transferred um, to another state to try to get help and at first it was put out there that you know she's going to be okay we've got a long road things will get better and um then in the last year she looked very very different Mm -hmm. and lost the the use of her body really and i remember seeing her and and i was just shocked and heartbroken and it just seemed very much like this can't be real and Kay would not want anyone to feel sad for her but I think a lot of us that is our first reaction but so it is important to remember all the great things that she did and her really just fun and upbeat personality just a 
a fighter and um, someone who was always working out and a health fanatic. I mean, so that's how I want to remember Kay Hagen. Well, I appreciate you calling in with your uh, thoughts today. Uh, like you said, uh, you knew her very well and served with her uh, for a time there when you were both in the NC uh, legislature, you in the House, she in the Senate, and uh, she went on to uh, serve one term as a U.S. Senator. Now, one week from tonight, you'll be in the room here with me for election night coverage, so I look forward to that as always. And uh, for now, uh, thanks very much, Tricia. Thank you so much. Bo Thompson, his best of the week on WPT. Plus, extended interviews and exclusive digital content. This is Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Monday, October 28th, I'm Bo Thompson. The big story from the weekend. The raid on Saturday night and the killing of the ISIS kingpin, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, The ISIS mastermind has been killed, and we are hearing the details of this raid, this mission to kill him. And uh, we're gauging reaction, of course, this morning, as we always do. And one person uh, that I wanted to uh, try to connect with, if we could, was or is former chairman of the Congressional Task Force on Terrorism and, of course, former U.S. Congressman District Number 9, Robert Pittenger, is back with us on the WBT Hotline. Congressman, good morning. Congressman Pittenger, are you there? Hello. There you are. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hey, it's Bo Thompson here. Congressman Pittenger, welcome back to WBT. Hello, Mr. Bo. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. So uh, I'm curious. Uh, you uh, heard this news on Saturday night. Uh, like I said, you, you were the longtime uh, chairman of the Congressional Task Force on Terrorism during your time in Congress. Uh, what do you think of this news? Well, I think it's reflective of a president who clearly understands uh, the challenges that we face, and um, he doesn't announce his plans, and you, he's very uh, unpredictable in how he, what he's going to do. He doesn't tell the media five months ahead of time that he's planning to take this man out. So um, I, I, it's a tribute to leadership, and I think it's going to have a very consequential effect uh, on our war on terror. And I really commend the president for what he did to bring uh, the various countries together on a, on a strategy that was implemented that was effective. We remember Osama bin Laden and the killing of, of that uh, mastermind, uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, not, not as household a name as bin Laden, but uh, you know about this man and, and, sure. and what this means in the grand scheme of things. How would you put this into perspective? Oh, I think it's uh, uh, much more meaningful because Baghdadi was uh, uh, an ongoing threat today. Um, you know, bin Laden was a man who was uh, in hiding. And when they took uh, Baghdadi, he, he had his computers and we had all his uh, network of what he was doing. And so I think it was a tremendous uh, impact that it's going to have. Uh, like I said, during your time, uh, you know, terrorism was a major focus of, of your tenure as a congressman. Is this uh, something you thought you would see? Are you surprised that they were able to uh, make this happen on Saturday? Well, I think when we work together uh, to share information, uh, to collaborate together, and that's frankly, Bo, why I've continued. Uh, I've hosted now, just got back from Nairobi, Kenya. Mm-hmm. I'll be in Brazil. Uh, in November, we'll have, our, of course, another big meeting in Washington in December. But we host these uh, 
forums for parliamentarians throughout the world on counterterrorism. And our objective is to build stronger collaboration and working knowledge on uh, defeating our, our adversaries. So to the extent that we have those relationships and we have the ability to share information, to work together on issues like illicit finance and cybersecurity and um, 5G, AI, and so many things that we bring in experts uh, to advise and educate these parliamentarians. We've had over 1,300 parliamentarians from uh, 90 countries who've attended the 17 forums I've organized around the world. And that's really uh, important because um, parliamentarians write the laws and they fund the governments. And the president was able to work with these governments because everybody's on board and they understand uh, what needs to be done to um, be able to succeed in this war. Talking to uh, former Congressman Robert Pittenger here on WBT, uh, reacting to the killing of uh, al-Baghdadi on Saturday night. Now, of course, everyone understands that just because this man, this leader is gone, that doesn't end the ISIS threat altogether. Now, it, it weakens the no, ISIS threat. But I, I do want to ask you, because, you know, a week ago or over the last week, we're, we're, we're talking about Syria and Turkey, and we're talking about uh, the president's decision to pull troops out of that region, and uh, you're hearing about ISIS prisoners being freed. Uh, what's your take on, on that developing story? And, and again, perspective and context here, what it means with this leader gone as it relates to uh, that threat going forward? Well, clearly, uh, we have a very, we have Turkey, who's been very complicit and frankly, throughout the last decade, facilitating ISIS. Uh, all the major oil that funded their operations went through uh, their country. Uh, I went there several times challenging their leadership on those issues. But um, uh, the president has put pressure on Turkey. We've we've forced uh, him into a position where he knows that economic sanctions are going to have a major impact on this country if he doesn't play by the rules. And so uh, Russia, we understand their objectives. They have a footprint now in Syria. It's very strong. Uh, but they as well uh, know that uh, America will commit itself to do the right thing when necessary. Don't assume that when the president's pulled everybody out that we've pulled out uh, all of our intelligence mm-hmm. people. Um, that's what was needed, frankly, in Iraq. When Mr. Obama left Iraq, he pulled out all of our intelligence folks. Uh, we have the best intelligence and the technology in the world. And frankly, that's why uh, the Afghans fell apart, because they didn't have our capabilities. Well, and that's that's one thing to point out about this raid on Saturday night, which I'm sure you can speak to. Uh, not only uh, was the leader killed, but the U.S. was able to gain intelligence and records and information sure. inside that will uh, help in the fight going forward. Sure, we got all those computers. I mean, it's, it's current what what their operations were today. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a major find. Uh, but again, you're right. Uh, this does not. Uh, it's not a conclusive uh, impact. This is going to go on for decades. So in the war on terror, uh, this one man is out, and others will rise to the occasion. So we've got to be vigilant. We've got to be uh, working together and with these countries. And everybody has, threat, has threats. So the Russians understand the threat. Uh, even the Chinese. I'll be doing a meeting in Shanghai later on this uh, year in 2020. But uh, the world understands uh the threats of terrorists 
inside their own country. So we, we do have common ground to work with them on that. Former Congressman Robert Pittenger, uh, thanks for checking in this morning. I appreciate it. Well, great to hear your voice, Bo. Hope you're doing well. You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. 6.53 on WBT. Two days away from Halloween. 2019. Bo Thompson, Pam Warner. I've been meaning to ask you about this because you've watched the videos for this. I have not. And I don't really want to, to be honest with you. Yeah, don't. Any more than I want to go search out a really realistic haunted house. But there is, this is called, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, the McCamey, McCamey Manor. This is in Tennessee, offering $20,000 to anyone who can finish the haunted house tour. But according to the attraction's website, no one has completed the experience so far. Correct. And just so you know, this haunted house has locations in Nashville, Tennessee, and also Huntsville, Alabama. You can participate by reservation only. 21 years old or 18 to 20 with parental approval. Mm-hmm. you got to pass a background check. You have to complete a sports physical and have a doctor release you to participate both mentally and physically. Correct. So you watch the video. I mean, this is... I did watch the video because I was like, who can't get through a haunted house for 20 grand? But I, not, I don't know if you've seen this yet. But no, I haven't. You, in the, in the article, it can take up to 10 hours to get through this house. And it's, and it's considered a one-man show. It's not a Halloween house. It's, it's a torture house. It's basically a guy who has property and he's made it property in the middle of nowhere yeah. and he's turned his house he basically is is getting away with torturing people for fun except they get to go home they don't lose their life at the end like it's some straight out of saw stuff you have uh you have to be screened via facebook via chat or phone in order to go in it mm-hmm. you have to provide proof of medical insurance sign the detail this can't be this once re- you get to this place just the waiver part is a four-hour process before you can even begin and he's getting enough people who go through all of this he's to getting get in enough, this? like i was watching a video one of the videos is an hour and 45 minutes long and it's literally of all the people that have been selected to go and have failed you got to sign a detailed 40-page waiver, pass a portable drug test on the day of the show. No, this is for the people going in, not the guy who's putting it on? Correct. <laughs> but the guy who's putting it on, like, he definitely has some, some issues. I definitely wouldn't go. It's, you're, set, you're, you're, you're being set up to fail. No one's going to win that twenty grand If you're in this torture chamber for over 10 hours and the things that he puts them through, like he dumps them not... underwater and, and he, he has them in dark rooms. He's got their mouths open with this tool that he uses. So wait a minute. Uses. This is not ha-ha. This is real. Like this is you're 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 agreeing to go in and and be tortured, p- painful things. Uh, yeah, but this is uh, no, this is how this is where I, I look. I draw the line at much more timid things than this, <laughs> but this is ridiculous. Yeah, when I saw this the is, video, I was like, no wonder, <laughs> no I mean, one's won twenty grand. I, I'm not a haunted house guy. I never was. I mean, I, my my son loves scare wins. I, I'm happy he's old enough now. I don't have to go with him anymore. I love carowinds, but scarewinds, when people jumping out of the... I, I just That's not my thing. I got to try it. I now, do. There used to... I, I think I was scarred at a young age. There was a haunted house that used to be... You know where the CarMax is on Independence Boulevard? Yes. There used to be a building there that they would do a haunted... At least when I was a, in, in a high school for several years, there was a haunted house at that property. And it was as realistic as, as I've ever been to. I mean, it's nothing like this, but 
I'm just not a haunted house guy. I'm a just give me some candy guy. I, nice mask. I like the candy too, but I yeah. don't mind it. I did go to a haunted house years ago and got to the gates and turned around and never went in. But then I beat my fear and I went back two years later. Because <laughs> she, she heard about that twenty thousand dollars. That's right. <laughs> I wish. I always kind of saw myself as the uh, as the bridge between the old WBT and the new WBT. Um, and now you're the bridge. Is there anything and that we haven't if, talked about that you want people to know about? If people like this interview. You're just as important to this interview as I was. You asked very good questions because you brought out a lot of things that I had forgotten. To me, Ty Boyd saying the call letters, there, there is, that's the standard. Uh, uh, hearing the WBT. WBT. Charlotte. Charlotte. <laughs> what do those call letters mean to you? Everything. Download the first five episodes of Bo Thompson's Century Podcast. Don Russell and James K. Flynn, both of you were institutions in your own right already before the morning show duo ever came to be. Except it's more like we were institutionalized. <laughs> institutions, but. Bo Thompson, good morning. Al Gardner, it is uh, awesome to hear your voice. Listen now at WBT.com. Radio com, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's always a two-way street. It's a team thing, and people forget that. We were both good today. Because our last name is Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Connor, the day has come. He's the most lethal Terminator ever created. You don't fight it. You run from it. Clearly, you don't know me. Terminator Dark Fade, rated R. It is WBT's Friday morning news. Time to bring on, on the day after Halloween, Sean O'Connell from CinemaBlend.com. A happy day after, my friend. Hello, my friend. Good to speak with you. Absolutely. And so, uh, Terminator Dark Fate. It's not exactly a, I mean, certainly not a Halloween movie, but it's a dark movie. We know that. I tell you what, one thing first off here is I, I've lost track of how many there are now of these Terminator movies. I believe this is the sixth one, um, but... Like several franchises uh, recently, from Halloween to Alien, I believe, tried to do this. Uh Um, They are pretending that most of the sequels uh, don't exist anymore. So this is a direct sequel to uh, Terminator 2. Uh, So as far as they're concerned, the only ones that exist in the mythology are the first one and the second one, and then this is a continuation from T2, and, and because of that, Linda Hamilton is back in addition to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that's kind of the big story, right? Because uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, has been back in some of the recent ones, but she has been gone for a while. Yes, and she's once you see her back in the franchise, you realize, oh, this is exactly what the franchise has been missing this whole time. I mean, you could make the case, or the, the movies have tried to make the case, that Arnold is the main character of the Terminator franchise, but the better stories are the ones that really are about uh, Linda Hamilton's Sarah Connor. Like, Sarah Connor is the one who's supposed to eventually give birth to John Connor, who's the leader of the Resistance. And the Terminator is the one who's sent back to essentially stop her from doing that. So when you refocus the story around Sarah and you bring Linda Hamilton back so she can be the, the focal point of the story, it's much, much better. And, uh, and you don't realize that until you sit down and watch Dark Fate. Well, that's interesting. You talk about uh, that, that choice to ignore everything except the first movie. Halloween, like you said a year ago, did that to great results. In fact, now they've ordered not one more movie but two movies. So I guess uh, if Terminator can be as good as that was, then this, uh, this looks like a trend happening in Hollywood. Well, and I, but I hope... 
that they don't, you know, try to squeeze too many more of these Terminator movies out. Because what, what, what I think Terminator usually does wrong is that they don't focus enough on just making one good film. The, like the, last, the most recent ones, whether it's Terminator Genesis or Terminator Salvation, whenever they launch them, they always say, this is going to be the start of another trilogy of films. Stop with launching another trilogy. Just focus <laughs> on making one good film, and, and then your audience will be, will be really excited about seeing it. Now, the, one of the smart things they did this time, you, you, you're not going to get James Cameron back because he's lost in... Pandora making seven Avatar films, um, but they hired. Speaking Kim of Miller. making multiple movies, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it was Cameron who led, you know, the first two Terminator films, and he's a genius action director, obviously. But they found uh, Tim Miller, who directed the first Deadpool film, and is really good with action choreography and and good set pieces, good stunts and set pieces. So he was a good fit for this Terminator franchise. All right, Motherless Brooklyn. Uh, I know that's out today. I know nothing about it. Well, it's it's Ed Norton, uh, the actor from Fight Club. It's his second directorial film. It's a film noir. It's set in the in New York. Um, it, it's it's a pretty interesting entry uh, in those types of films. If you like movies like Chinatown, things like that. Um, but Ed Norton wears a lot of hats in it. Uh, he's writer, director, uh, producer, and he's the lead actor in it, too. So if you like him, go out of your way and check it out. Mandalorian, look outside. They are waiting for you. Yeah? Good. Okay, so we're about a week and a half away from the launch of Disney Plus, the new streaming service, and one of the biggest titles as a part of that launch is The Mandalorian, the new live-action Star Wars streaming series. The final trailer dropped earlier this week. I, th I thought it was great. In fact, I think I might be more excited about the series now than the Episode Nine movie. Uh, did you see this? Oh, I did. It looks great. And, Bo, you know, you're not alone in that. I've talked to a, a number of uh, rabid Star Wars fans who tell me, uh, and I think I share this sentiment, they're more excited for The Mandalorian than they are for Episode Nine, um, because everything we're hearing about The Mandalorian, and, you know, Cinnamon was able to go to a press day for it recently, uh, the, the takeaway from Jon Favreau, who is directing a few episodes of, this, of the, uh, the first few episodes of the season, is that it, it feels like a movie. It looks like a movie. They're spending money to make it look like a movie, even though it's going to be on the streaming service. Uh, and it's, it's um, of the tone of the original trilogy. Uh, it's, it takes place in a time period right after Return of the Jedi, uh, and it feels similar to, uh, you know, New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and, Re and Return of the Jedi. So, yeah, uh, fans, Star Wars fans are very, very fired up about this. And you and I have talked about the streaming services over the years and, and how they have to have uh, really valuable properties to lure people to it. I think a lot of people are going to sign up for, for Disney Plus when it launches specifically for the Star Wars content that's coming. Because not only do they have Mandalorian, but that Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, yeah. show that they were going to do. He was, he's saying now that he's going around promoting Dr. Sleep, which is coming out next week. He's admitting to people that it was going to be a movie, and now they're turning it into a longer 10-episode uh, show, and it's going to be on Disney+. Plus. So Disney+, Plus, if you're a Star Wars fan, it feels like you, know, you kind of have to get it. So. Well, I heard this week that uh, the way they're going to piecemeal this out is first episode comes with the launch on November 12th, and then you get a new one every week. And if you watch them all, that will lead you right up to the premiere in theaters of Episode 9. 
Well, I like that, too, because as much as I appreciate the ability to binge something um, when a show is binge-worthy, you also, you know, after you finish a season in two days or something like that, you do sort of end up with the, okay, what now, you know? So I kind of do like having an episode to look forward to. HBO is doing that with um, the Watchmen series, and it's really, really good, and I kind of like that I have to wait till Sunday to get it. it. You know, I'm not a millennial. I don't need everything immediately, right now. I can wait for a week for a good show to come around. Well, no, you and I grew up in the 80s, and we waited until Saturday night at 8 o'clock to watch Different Strokes and Silver Spoons. And, uh... <laughs> now the world don't move. Anyway, uh, now I want to go back to the idea of uh, you know, having that carrot that you can uh, hang out there for somebody to uh, sign up for a streaming service. I've also heard, and I've seen you tweeting about this, this HBO Max streaming service. There's talk about an alternate version of what I think we both agree was one of the worst movies of all time, Justice League, a couple of years ago. But there's another version of that out there that may be released and it may have some connection towards, towards HBO Max. It might, if things start to play the way that fans really want it to go. So Zack Snyder was the original director of, he did Man of Steel, and he did Batman versus Superman. And he was working on Justice League when he had to leave because of a family uh, tragedy. Uh, And so he was replaced by Joss Whedon, and it didn't go well. Um, Whedon just didn't fit what Snyder was trying to do. So Snyder fans believe there's something called the Snyder Cut of Justice League, and they've been lobbying for the past two to three years to get Warner Brothers to release that cut. And for various reasons, they haven't been able to. But HBO Max is this new service that has said they're going to have, you know, 10 projects with the DCEU specifically, and they're partnered with Warner Brothers. So the fans who've been beating that drum for the Snyder Cut of Justice League think that, that HBO Max is a great fit. Because it is, like you say, one of those carrots to lure people over to subscribe to this new service. And uh, it, to me, it just makes too much sense for them not to do this. So uh, I hope that that announcement comes soon. I would like to see Zack Snyder's uh, full vision for Justice League uh, realized. There's a lot of stuff that apparently got cut out of the theatrical version, and Snyder has been sharing that stuff on social media. So uh Yeah, I mean, no announcement yet, but it feels like that could eventually happen. Well, and ironically, uh, the last time this kind of thing happened was with a Superman movie, right? There was Superman 2 that was started out as a a dual movie that was shot at the same time as Superman, you know, the original Christopher Reeve movie back in 1978, and then they had to switch directors, and you got a different version, and then years later, they finally released what they called uh, the Donner Cut. That's right. Richard Donner, the director behind Lethal Weapon and The Goonies, and of course he directed the first Superman. Now that was 20 years uh, later when the Donner cut was released. And it didn't go to theaters, they put it on DVD. So the fans had to essentially buy another copy of Superman 2 to see the restored footage of Richard Donner. And, you know, I kind of thought if the Snyder Cut came out, that's what would happen. They would put it on a Blu-ray or some such, and fans would just show their sport for it by buying it. But with the release of HBO Max and the advent of these streaming wars, then, yeah, it would make sense to put a really anticipated uh, cult movie like the Snyder Cut of Justice League on a service like that and then just watch the subscriptions roll in. And the moral to the story is, DVD? What's a DVD, Mom? <laughs> yeah, I sounded ancient when I yeah. said that, didn't I? <laughs> no. All right, man. Uh, always enjoyed talking to you, and we'll uh, talk again next week, Sean. All right, Bo. Take care. Uh, it's like Saturday night, 8 o'clock, when I was a kid. <laughs> You ever have those songs when you're a kid, you think it says one thing, and you get older, you learn it was actually something else? In the open, it would said, 
The man is born, he's a man of means. When I was a kid, I thought they said, he's a man of meat. <laughs> I always thought, he's a man of meat. <laughs> Makes no sense. Of course, uh, anytime I play old 80s TV theme songs, John Moore and I start getting in a battle here in this... You know what I have come to realize, John, is all of all of mine have words and all of yours don't have words. Ah, yes. No lyrics for Cabot Cove. <laughs> well, I mean, there's that one, and I could go this way. I, I could even go this way. This is much more obscure. What is that? Don't, don't act like you don't know the theme to Jake and the Fat Man. <laughs> I thought that was Hardcastle and McCormick. Oh, my gosh. Okay. You know how we end a segment like this, or at least we move on to the next thing? We play this. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> Mo Thompson and John Moore, 80s TV theme song battles on a Friday morning. That's what we do. Thanks for listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Hear Bo live weekday mornings 5 to 8 on WBT's Morning News and 8 to 10 on the Pat McRory Show with Bo Thompson. Plus, on demand anytime at WBT.com and Radio.com. WBT's Morning News and 8 to 10 on the Pat McRory Show with Bo Thompson. Plus, on demand anytime at WBT.com and Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.